Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football, and on it you will hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins, losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Megan. U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football. Whether you are a casual fan, a fanatic, a coach, a player, or just a person who loves great stories, then huddle up and commit at any given you. Recognizing that I volunteered as a Ranger, fully knowing the hazards of my chosen profession, I always endeavor to uphold the prestige, honor, and high esprit de corps of my Ranger Regiment. This is the first stanza of the Ranger Creed. The Creed consists of six stanzas, 13 sentences, and 242 words in total. These words go on to speak of a willingness to move further and fight harder. They stress the importance of brotherhood and sacrifice. The words address the example a Ranger is supposed to be for others. And ultimately, they echo a promise, a promise to never quit, never accept less than victory, and if necessary, to give one's life so that victory is achieved. If there is one ranger left, the fight is not over. A ranger must live these words, compelled by them, stricken by them, cursed by them, and validated by them. The creed is more than a collection of words. It's a code that will govern how a ranger should live. Those who have earned the scroll share this connection, a connection of shared hardships, intense pride, and esprit de corps. I know these words. I live these words. I failed these words, and these words have been my only friend in some of my darkest places. The creed connects rangers past and present. It will be there when scores of new rangers are ushered in. It will be there when a ranger takes his last breath. Today's guest is no stranger to these words. And although this is officially the first time we will speak, I am honored to count him as a brother. Matthew Fletcher hails from DeKalb, Illinois. He had thoughts of playing football in college at an early age, but put those on hold to serve his country. Matthew joined the Army in 2009 and attended one-station unit training, airborne school, and RASP at Fort Benning, Georgia. He was assigned to 2nd Ranger Battalion in 2010. He served three years at 275 and went on four combat deployments. His love of the game never diminished, however, and in 2014, he attended junior college at DePage for two years. In 2016, he accepted a preferred walk-on role at Coastal Carolina as a linebacker. Matt Fletcher, welcome to the Any Given You podcast, brother. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Where are you joining us from today, bud? So Fort Collins, Colorado. Just uh, just moved out here three weeks ago. How's it been out there? Good. Been uh, getting some good little nature excursions. Uh, got a cousin down in Colorado Springs out in that area, and we've been doing some fishing in a couple of spots, and he's kind of showing me the ropes. And then uh, been doing a little hiking. Last week, it was my girlfriend's birthday, so we uh, got a chance to kind of go into the Rockies and got some Airbnb cabins, and we're able to go kind of do a little sightseeing. Saw a glacier and uh, went snowmobiling for the first time. It's been pretty cool so far. That's awesome, man. So how's the, uh, the the mountains out there in Colorado, man? They're like, 
the mountains we have out here out east are like nothing compared to those right i mean they're like legit yeah it's beautiful it's like i, I find it inspiring just having a you know a skyline like that I'm, I'm from you know the midwest all i got is you know seas of cornfields <laughs> <laughs> surrounding me so being being able to go out on my morning runs and see the sun coming up hitting those snow-capped mountains is it it, it really uh, kind of it inspires me that's god's country out there man did you um so when you're fishing you, you're doing like fly fishing you're doing like trout and stuff like that yeah fly fishing uh for trout uh it's been really therapeutic for me i just started about a year ago my cousin took me uh to this spot called the toilet bowl and it's where uh you know it kind of swirls all the all the all the food in there so the trout gets super fat and i caught two big ones right off the bat and i became addicted instantly you catch uh, two big brown trout out of the toilet bowl are we talking about like fishing or are we t- <laughs> talking about plumbing <laughs> <laughs> no yeah there's a couple rainbows <laughs> <laughs> awesome man that's great um so the funny thing is is uh if if it wasn't for my wife funny enough this interview probably would have never happened because when i launched this podcast you know i was doing it through a facebook group primarily and she goes hey you need to get an instagram i'm like uh, what yeah you know, she's like you need to get on the instagram and i'm like man is that you know i didn't know anything about it right so i get on there i create the profile because of the ranger connection that we have you know was friends with a lot of guys from regiment all that stuff like that and then you happen to come across the feed and you're in the gym just getting it dude like you're like uh, doing all these deadlifts and farmer carries and shit and i'm like oh man i feel really bad about myself right now who is this guy and then uh and then (laughs) popped up a couple weeks later you know it was like hey you know this is a college football player too i was like man i've got to have this guy on so like so thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it we're gonna go ahead and get into the the first segment of the podcast is you know our our regular listeners would know this is the floor is yours and so this is the segment where we start telling your story man so DeKalb Illinois uh, it's up there on the northern end of Illinois near the Great Lakes uh, in the vicinity of what Northern Illinois University yeah I always, I always use Chicago as kind of like a point of reference when I'm talking people on to where I'm from I'm about an hour and a half west of Chicago so it's like kind of north central Illinois you know the heart of cornfield country. I actually grew up in Rochelle, Illinois. It's an even smaller town than DeKalb, probably about 1300 people. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, construction is kind of like the big thing there, farming, football, for sure. Both of my, uh, all three of my brothers were uh, football players. They're way older than me because my parents, they were both uh, married to other people first and then met each other later in life. So my mom already had my three brothers. So they've always been more like uncles almost. It's like a 14, 15 year difference between us. You know, just growing up in that environment where football was kind of like the main thing going on. You know, I started early, about eight years old, uh, playing junior tackle. You know, I fell in love with it instantly because I was kind of like, a, I was kind of a fat kid. My teeth were all jacked up. <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I didn't really, I didn't have a lot of confidence, but football kind of gave me, you know, an outlet where I could go and let out all, all that aggression and be rewarded for it. Then once I hit a growth spurt around like age 11, I got real tall and skinny and got some speed and then I really got good at it. So it was kind of, it just became part of my identity if not the main part of my identity was football. Yeah, no, I I completely understand. You know, this sport, I try to explain it to people. If you played it, you understand, but people who don't, it is, it's very much a lifestyle. It, It is very consuming for people that have played this game for a long time. And 
you stick as a football player pretty quick. You figure out if you like it or not pretty fast. You know, um, if you can't take a hit or you don't like dishing hits out or, you know, you can't deal with some adversity, it's not the sport for you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the way that football is played where I'm from was like, you know, wing T kind of like throwing it in between the tackles, you know what I mean? And so it wasn't a whole lot of like, I wouldn't say technique, but it was just more of like an in your face kind of, you know, smash mouth football. It, there wasn't, it wasn't as confusing as like, kind of like the more modern spread deal. So it was like, at that time, really, there wasn't too many things to drill other than just kind of the mindset, just keep bringing it, you know, and don't let up. But they're real, real competitive. So that was another thing is that competition that they really kind of instilled in me. It sounds like you're from a place that's just one of those sort of blue collar type places that, you know, they play hard nose, they play physical they work hard, you know, that kind of stuff, like that Midwestern persona there that a, a lot of guys from that area kind of have sort of the no nonsense. I'm going to work hard. I'm not giving up anytime soon. I'm here. I can bring it, bring it on. Oh yeah. Rain, sleet, snow. doesn't matter. You go out there, you kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. So uh, did, did you go to high school there too, as well in, in Rochelle? Well, kind of, Growing, growing up there off the field, I really had a lot of trouble uh, with uh, school, especially. I got D's and F like my entire life. I uh, I went to a I went to a Lutheran school uh, that was put on through my church up until like fifth grade, and then I went to the normal middle school. And uh, once I went to the normal middle school, I started getting into a lot of fights and. I wasn't paying attention in class and it was kind of like, you know, I would get all this negative reinforcement from teachers and then, you know, getting suspended. And it just kind of like, it became like part of my identity was like just hating school and anything associated with it. So I never even wanted to do good. So it was kind of hard to balance being a, a great football player and being a horrible student. The people that I surrounded myself with, I kind of became more attracted to the guys that were in gangs at an early age, like around 11, 12. So it was always hard for me to try to be like, you know, my, my older brother who went to play division one football at Eastern, I want to be like him, but then I also wanted to be like, I just wanted to be like this gangbanger or something like that. I don't know what I had in my mind at the time, but it just, it was two things that were just completely contradictory and it ended up getting me expelled from middle school. And then I had to graduate from an alternative school and I went to high school. I kept getting in trouble and I was going to get kicked off of the sports teams. And so my parents, uh, luckily my parents agreed that we would just move the town over to DeKalb. And when I did, you know, I still got bad grades, but my behavior was, I wasn't, I was more focused on football, not so much trying to be Nino Brown or whoever I thought I was going to end up being. I was able to kind of get my character down a little bit more, uh, but school was one thing I just, I, I like, I could never get it down. Uh, it was nice having kind of a second shot, you know, to go to DeKalb and start over. I, I understand that. That, that kind of resonates. With, I would, I, I'm the same kind of, I put all my eggs sort of in the sports basket because that was the reason that I got out of bed in the morning, you know, it wasn't to go take a fucking math test. It wasn't to, you know, do all that stuff. It was to go and play sports and compete and do those things. And for me, um, for those who know me, I've said this a few times, like football saved my life. And uh, what I mean by that is like, quite literally, when I went to high school, I moved three and a half hours from my home, my family and all my old friends and my grandparents and everything else that I knew uh, to a place where I didn't know anybody. I fell into a pretty, pretty nasty, deep, very deep depression. I don't even think that my mom really knew I was carrying around uh, to the point where like, I just wanted to fucking go to sleep and not wake up. The one thing that 
really kept me going was I'm going to get back into football. I'm going to get back into sports. And when I went there and I started to build those relationships with my teammates and everything else and understand that, hey, there's a coach and some other guys that are relying on me to show up and do my job and work hard. That got me out of that place, gave me a new lease on life. And so I I completely understand what it is that you're saying. And I, I struggled with with anger and aggression, all that other stuff too. And and football really helped me temper that in a lot of ways, at least in the beginning, you know, then you get a whole new education in the military. We'll get to that. Did you have any uh, coaches at your high school kind of pull you to the side and say, Hey man, you've got some potential here, but we, we need to, we need to get it figured out. Yeah. My, uh, my, my head coach at DeKalb, uh, his name was, uh, Coach Johansson, he it was his first season uh, coaching. He he went to NIU and played there. I think he played tight end and uh, a really well put together guy. You know, uh, well spoken. You know, clean cut. And he he really was supportive of me, real patient with me. You know, and he would push me. And the reason why I was getting D's was because of him. Otherwise, I would have been just completely failing out. Uh, I was real real lucky to get him. And even the coaches in Rochelle, they they were they were supportive. I was just so misled that it was kind of a situation that just wasn't going to get better because the people that I was hanging out with and the people that I was idolizing off the field were completely going down and there was no way that that was going to work so I had really that move was good and then I got really lucky having a coach that was so supportive but still I was just so hard-headed I thought that I would be like booby miles and just be so good that you know anybody would take me but once it came to you know time to graduate I kind of realized that I'm just not going to have the grades to be able to go anywhere you know, on scholarship and we don't have the money. So it was kind of like, that was when I started thinking about like, oh, well, I'm going to have to figure out a way to keep this dream alive. So that, so that's when, yeah. So I was going to say it was kind of click for you that uh, maybe the military was, was the route. Yeah, definitely. It was my cousin, Adam, he, he joined the uh, Marines and he was in Iraq uh, my lat, my, uh, junior and senior year of high school. And he was, you know, going back and forth with those ap- deployments over there. And it was kind of like something I, I took personally and I would think about him, I worry about him. And then when it was time for me to figure out like, what am I going to do with my life? Cause it looks like this football is like, this football thing's about dead. It was like, well, wait, you, you could get the GI bill. You know, you could do your time, get out. You'll still be young enough to go play. Let's give it a shot and go, go check it out. So that's when I decided to go, uh, to the recruiting office and go kind of shop around for uh, which branch. So uh, I wanted to ask you this question because I think I know the answer to this question. Like, and it's pretty funny because it's like everybody in Ranger Regiment tried this. Did you go to the Marines first? No, <laughs> you didn't. I went oh. to the Army first. Yeah, yeah, I went to the Army first. Good man. But I was I was curious about uh, the Green Berets is what I was what I had in my mind. I was like, I want to do something kind of special. Like what I, the way I worded it to the recruiter was, I told him I want to do the hardest, most physically demanding and dangerous job you got. And I was like, I assume that's special forces, but I didn't know anything. I was just like an eighteen year old kid. That's when he told me that I would be too young to go that route, but that he could hook me up with the option forty contract, which would get me a chance to be a ranger. And now it wasn't real clear the distinction between just going to ranger school and going to ranger regiment. I kind of, all the way up through basic training, I thought I was just going to ranger school after airborne school. Yeah. And I thought that makes you a ranger. And I just kind of slowly learned through like little clues of like kind of eavesdropping conversations that like, oh my God, I'm going to go get tortured for four weeks. And like, I have to go to this, to this like unit that is like specialized and then I get to go to ranger school and then I didn't really understand what I got myself into a hundred percent. All I knew was like, I was very angry that 
uh, I failed at the one thing that I had kind of given all of my effort to, you know, and like, that was what I put my identity in. And it was just like one day it hit me and it hit me when our season was already over and I was watching a team in our conference play for the state championship on TV. It kind of hit me that like everything I've been working on towards my entire life was about to be over. And it's because I blew it and couldn't behave and couldn't participate in classes. I couldn't get good grades. And that's the reason why it was like, I put so much into the football side, but me as a person failed and that hurt. And it, it made me like kind of lost. And I, I remember walking down that uh, Taylor street right by my house in DeKalb. And I was like, I was just hammered drunk. I had like a, a vodka in my, in my like coat. And I'm just like, you know, 18 year old kids staggering down the street, you know what I mean? Half crying, listening to, listening to sad music. And it was like that, that feeling, I just, I can't, I can't live in that, you know? And it was time for me to figure out, figure it out. You know, like I couldn't just, I wouldn't want to, that's not what I wanted to be. You, we all, like, we all see the, you know, the 60 year old man shuffling down the street, every hometown in America. And like, nobody wants to be that guy. And it was like, I kind of saw that in myself at 18 and I'm like, we got to change this. And I don't care if I die doing this. I feel dead as it is. So like, give me something that I can be proud of is what I went to the recruiter basically begging for. Just having a shot was enough. He told me, you know, only like one in three people make it, you know, and you're only 18. And like, I guess he went and didn't make it. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, I, I don't, I don't care. Just give me a chance. Cause I, 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 I had one thing I failed and now it's time I need to really prove myself. And that, it, it kind of gave me a sense of urgency. I completely understand that. And that resonates with me big time, man. Like when my time was done at FIU, when you get called in a coach's office and you, they look you dead in the eye and they say, hey, your time's done here. You're not doing what you were supposed to do. You, you didn't uphold your end of the bargain. You're in trouble in the classroom. You're making bad decisions off the field. Thanks, but no thanks. To have that weight and that gravity on me, having put my whole life in this sport as well, I understand where you were because I was there too. I didn't, I don't have quite as cool a story. I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting on my mom's couch. I was sitting on my mom's couch. I come back from school, just an utter, utter failure. That's what I felt like. And it was um, shit, man. I don't know. It was like 11 in the morning and my mom had already come back from work and she had to go run some errands. And she's like, do you feel like doing anything today? And I'm like, get off my case, God, you know? And like, I, I was, you know, I was, I had this big beard and I'm sitting down on the couch and I got this bowl of cereal and I'm eating it and milk's falling all over my face and my chest and my boxers. And I'm watching SpongeBob square pants. And it's like one in the afternoon. And I'm like, how in the hell did you let it get to this? You had bigger aspirations than this. What, what are you what are you doing, man? And I, I, I kind of, I broke down, you know, I had a breakdown and I, my mom came home and I told her, I said, Hey, you know, I got to get my life together. I got to try something, you know? And it was still another couple of years before I joined the military. I, I actually moved to Georgia. We got back into community college up there, you know, played a little semi-pro football, tried to stay in shape. I was trying to get to like the university of Georgia, but when I hit that end wall again, and it was clear that that college football door was shut to me. I remember my, my great grandfather, he was a 35 year veteran and a three, he was a three war veteran as well. World War II, Korea, Vietnam. He passed away in 2009. And when he passed away, you know, it, it was a big hit to me because I, I respected, revered this man. I was very close with this man. 
I got absolutely shit faced, uh, you know, wake, I, I did a wake for him myself. I was just out of my mind drunk. And I woke up the next morning and just, it clicked in the back of my head. And I said, okay, it's my turn. I'm going to go now. I'm, I'm young, I'm strong, I'm fast. Our country's at war. Let's go do something. That willingness to succeed. I just wanted to win. So you and I went to the same place where all Rangers are uh, forged, uh, Fort Benning, Georgia. Lovely, lovely place. What was your experience like getting on that bus and driving into, you know, 30th AG and basic and all that stuff? Like what, what, what's, what's one of your funnier memories of that? Because, you know, as we all know that that place is a circus. Oh yeah. Well, I was just so lost, like just being, you know, 18 and, you know, not just an 18 year old, I was 18 year old Fletch and I was dumber than a box of rocks. I had no idea what was going on ever. I couldn't pay attention. So 30th AG, I was just kind of like, what is going on? I just like try to try to ask all these older dudes, you know, and try to mimic what they're doing, but they're like trying to ignore me. And like, it was, it was a mess. And then, you know, when we get on the buses and go over to Sand Hill, you know, once the action's about to kick off, we, uh, you know, we pull up, everything's super quiet, and the drill sergeant turn, turns around. His name was Drill Sergeant Amaker. He probably six foot five, had uh, shaved his head. Big guy, huge. And he, he turns around and just like, you see the veins popping out of his forehead as he starts like screaming at everybody to get off the bus. And then, uh, you know, we hop out and you have to run across the sand. And it was, uh, it was June, it was late June. So it's, you know, Georgia's hot around that time. And, you know, not a cloud in the sky. So that, that sun was bouncing off the sand. And it's, I just remember everything being so bright and everybody sprints. It's like, we were like storming the beaches of Omaha. Like uh, it was, it was madness. But, and the whole time I was trying to do, you know, max effort, everything. So you're doing the three count pushups while you're getting smoked, you know, one, two, three. I thought I could do every single one. And I remember his first day I'm cramping up all over the place in the front lane and the rest. I was kind of, I kind of, I kind of learned like right off the bat. It's like, it's not about doing every push up. You, you got to just do the exercise and get through it. You're just going to die. Everybody else is in the rest position and laying on the ground and stuff. And you're trying to knock them out still. You're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah. And it's kind of like one of the things I learned right off the bat. I, I, uh, that was kind of the thing that sticks out the most. I remember that. I remember that well, like uh, pulling up, they were all standing down there, you know, arms folded and everything else. And uh, you get off the bus and they, they cracked smokes and like flashbangs or something. And, you know, we're grabbing our stuff and it's that same monotone, like get off the bus, get off the bus, get over here. What are you doing guy? What are you doing? Like just screaming. <laughs> we're running across the sand as well. And dudes are tripping and shit. And I'm like, did he like dudes are going down? like they're getting shot and i'm like what the hell is going on this is crazy and so oh yeah it was madness oh yeah dude run to that back cta and like you know the fun and games begin and like there's dudes like <laughs> like you know, crying like dragging their stuff up and i'm like god man like you know it's just like... so in that moment i was really glad that i played football because uh, I was able to deal with that situation so much better than, you know, having mm -hmm. felt a little bit of adversity and, you know, hey, get on the line and we're running 110s till, you know, I get tired kind of stuff, you know, dealing with that, you could see the difference in guys that had had an experience like that and guys that did not. Oh yeah, absolutely. It put me ahead too. I, I was always squad leader or in a leadership position, you know, as even though I'm, you know, 10 years younger than a lot of these guys from football, because it was, it was almost the same thing as like summer conditioning, you know, where they're going crazy on us and you just got to get through it. Also trying to excel and trying to like kind of separate yourself from the pack. You know, it's like, I want to be a captain. I want to be all conference. I want to be all state. I want to be these things. So I need to have a level of effort that, you know, is appropriate to achieve those things. 
But then when you go into the army, there isn't those things. I want to be a ranger. So I'm here with these dudes and like, they want to be in the national guard. They want to go to like, you know, first ID, you know, they want these things. I want to be in a special operations unit. And here I am 18 and lost. So if there's anything I can do is be vicious. So it was like my primary mission was just to kind of just be a savage. I was uh, not trying to be like the smart tactical guy. I was just like out there trying to just get through it, you know, and, and just try to like, kind of separate myself, you know, right off the bat. Yeah. I understand that completely. I, I was the PG like the whole time I tried to get fired so many times and <laughs> I just couldn't get rid of that <laughs> damn patch. You know, obviously after that, you and I had the same pipeline. So you go to jump school, you get your five jumps in. Uh, I'm really glad that I had no idea what I was doing. Otherwise I might've chickened out of jumping out of the plane. <laughs> When you, when you don't know all the bad things that can happen, you know, you're just like, all right, well, fine. I'll just jump out of this plane, but I make it through that. And uh, what was your first day getting picked? Because you and I had the same cadre pretty much. I mean, we, we came through very similar times in 2010. So uh, what was it like your experience getting picked up the first day and heading to the, heading to the oh, yeah. fence? Well, it was raining every time, every time I, in the military, every time I was moving or going somewhere new, every single time it was pouring rain. So all my belongings are getting soaked. I have no idea what I, what I'm getting myself into. We, uh, we, they, there's something wrong with the bus, which may or may not have even been true, but we had to, we had to lug all of our all of our gear from uh, you know down to airborne school up up the hill, and uh, so like you know everything's falling off and uh, just a complete soup sandwich. And we once we get inside the brown fence, it's kind of like well like I heard somebody whisper like, they can do anything to us in here. It's like what <laughs> like what do you mean like so like one of the first things we do is dump all of our stuff, have an unmeetable time hack. And then next thing you know, we're, we're uh, crab walking and bear crawling around the uh, barracks, you know, all the way around. It's probably, I don't know, what would you say? Probably a hundred meters by like 20 meters. Something like that. And, yeah. you know, we're just going all around that and the rocks and, you know, uh, flutter kicks, roll over, uh, get your stuff. And it was just, it was, I was like, what is this? <laughs> the whole time I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. <clears throat> and then immediately they were transitioning from the rip program to the ranger assessment selection program so there was about a month and a half holdover where we're just in there getting smoked and we had to move all of the lockers out of the old barracks into the new barracks and it, it was like that was before we even got to start and so it's like man starting to get cold we started in uh i believe yeah we started in january after the christmas break that was when the first class started and it was it's like you know cold and wet the whole time and i just remember always like really you know, from getting picked up all the way, all the way through the first phase of RASP, it was just like, man, I could quit at any minute. You know what I mean? And it, it was like, I remember the, the day before, uh, like the actual RASP class started, I remember calling my dad and it was like, I don't remember exactly what was said, but I was kind of like trying to prepare him for me quitting. You know what I mean? Like, kind of like just telling him like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. And like, I wanted him to tell me like, oh, well, it's okay if you quit or something like that. But it was, he wasn't giving me that. It was just kind of like just telling me, uh, you know, you can do it. Just trust in the Lord. A lot of it is faith-based, you know, with my dad. All throughout the Army, every time we would talk on the phone, he would end by telling me, Joshua, one nine. That's why I ended up getting on this hand. And that's, uh, you know, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen kept that in my head. That was, uh, that he, he was always doing that for me, but it was like that feeling of like impending doom 
and like self-doubt it kind of I kind of had it the whole time it was like we'd be you know getting smoked up and I just kind of feel like you know I just can't do this anymore but like then somebody else would quit and I'd be like oh that guy like he's a, he's he's goofy like I don't want to go stand next to that guy you know what I mean it would be stuff like that and yeah. one night in particular at uh at Cole Range no, it was cold. It was raining for a couple of days. So all the mud was real soggy. And, and I remember the uh, mud started to kind of freeze over and it got real hard and just scraping all the skin off like the insides of the elbows and knees. And then uh, we're soaking wet. They uh, stick us up at attention and just leave us there for a couple hours. And I remember there was a fire off in the, off in the distance like a bonfire and they said, and there was a tent next to it. And they said that if you want to quit right now, that you can go sit next to that fire and have as many MREs as you want. And then tomorrow we'll get you on a bus to another unit and you can start, you can start actually working. And it was like, you know, one person after another would go sit by that fire. And it was like, I was entertaining it, but that's when I started thinking about football and how it all ended up and how I didn't make it. And I blew it. And that was what I put my whole identity in. And I'm, I, I just like, and I can't do that here. You know what I mean? I can't go home and like tell my brothers who have always told me never quit, never quit, never quit. I can't tell them that like, oh, I quit because it was too hard. Or like my dad who worked, you know, construction for 40 years in freezing cold, you know, Illinois winters and scorching hot summers. Oh, it was too hard. Basically gave up his whole life just to support us, you know, or my mom who went through that horrible divorce and raised three kids in a trailer by herself, tell her it's too hard. And I, I wanted to go sit by the fire and eat MREs. It's like, there, there's something going on here that's much deeper than a couple meals or just getting out of here. And that's what, that's what kept me there. I absolutely know what you mean. The funny thing is, is uh, all the guys that went to rasp right all the death before dishonor guys that are like oh never quit they were the first ones who were gone they were gone every, every time every damn time dude i didn't know if i was gonna fucking make it to the next meal i entertained quitting every single day i was just like all right hey tomorrow morning i'll get up and i'll have breakfast so that way i'll quit with a full stomach and then you know after i got through breakfast i'm like well let's see what lunch is like you know and then those, those are the conversations you had to have with yourself I think the people that fought that internal battle back and forth were, were the ones that, that made it. You know, if anybody told you that they didn't think about it at any point, they're lying. Those are the guys that made it. The ones that said, oh, I'll never do that. They broke. They, they didn't have any flexibility. You know, they were rigid like concrete. And when they got hit hard enough, they crumbled. So when you got through uh, ranger assessment selection, you got your tambourine, you did the and khaki thing, you know, and graduated, uh, <laughs> yeah. you head out to 275. Uh, I got a lot of buddies at 275. I've never been out there personally myself. What, what was that like arriving out there, um, you know, to your, to your company, your platoon? Uh, when we first got out there, we, we had like, uh, we had a couple days in Seattle actually, before we went to Fort Lewis. So it was kind of like, uh, -oh. uh, guys I went to rasp with. Yeah. We went out where a lot of dudes weren't even 21 yet. But the ones who were, you know, they got us some alcohol and we went into like a concert, uh, like mosh pitting. And like, it was, it was like, you know, just, I don't remember it being super crazy. It was just like a little good fun. And then, then we go to, we go to our battalion and uh, our, our platoon, uh, it was uh, me and uh, two, two of my friends who I, I despised them and rasp. I couldn't stand them. They're a little older and more outspoken. And it was just like, oh, I couldn't stand them. But then we got put in the same platoon and we're, you know, doing everything together 24 seven. Uh, our platoon was on uh, rear D. 
they got uh, extended, you know, they, so they're, they weren't even there yet. So we were just kind of, you know, getting smoked up for a couple months and kind of learning the things that we need to learn, you know, get, getting the details on your airborne ranger in the sky down and, you know, getting used to, you know, cleaning the AOs and just, just getting ready for it. But I got really close with, with my, with my two uh, compadres there and it gave us time to build a relationship. And then when the platoon did get back, it was just like, you know, just constantly getting beat down in every way. And by the way, 275, you guys do the, uh, the platoon nickname thing. Yeah. 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 We were mad slashers. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. One, shout, one Charlie mad slashers. Shout out to the mad slashers. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so when you got there, right. Uh, and you got in that platoon environment and you were in your squad and everything else, how did that kind of compare or like remind you of being on a football team a little bit? Uh, well, Man, it, I just think it was so different. Mm. It's almost, it's, it's almost, it there, there's certain, there's certain things that seem comparable, but it's kind of like, you know, the tradition that was like indoctrinated was into me was like so much more vivid in that environment than it was in football. And I think it, it's hard to say really why I think, you know, a football team, there's a lot more people, you know, well, it just seemed like it was a more, it was a smaller group. And uh, then, you know, like on a whole division one team, there's like a hundred people to where like in a ranger platoon, there's like 30, you know what I mean? Uh, so I think it was a little more intimate. And then a lot of it was like, you know, having the ranger creed drilled into me. And then there's like a, you know, right there in the platoon AO, there's like a shrine to Sergeant first class McDowell. And, you know, he, he uh, had been KIA a couple deployments before that. So it's still kind of fresh and like the squad leaders and stuff were good friends with him. Yeah. So it was like this, the seriousness of being in this place and like the, uh, like, it's pretty much like these guys can do anything to me. So if I mess up, it's like you, even like a physical assault, like I'm going to be rolling with these three big ass privates that are going to be choking me out. You know what I mean? If I, if I mess this up or if I'm disrespectful and it's like, I just felt like if I did anything wrong, I was just going to like die. <laughs> you know what I mean? To where like in football, it's more like a privilege to be there. At the same time, there are similarities. Yeah. It's just my, my like initial reaction is like, oh my God, it's so different just because of the stakes. You know, like this is life or death here. And like, these are, these are guys who have lost friends and have done things that like, you can see the pain in their faces. And like, this is much more serious than like football is like, this is a game. You know, my career is serious. My reputation is serious but nothing is as serious as life and death. You know what I mean? And being in those black painted black brick walls that were in the, uh, the old uh, um, Seco building, it was just like, and you got all the murals and the tradition and the history. It's like, you know, that's pretty similar to, you know, in a, in a college environment, like college football environment, you see like, you know, there's trophies and pictures of, uh, you know, the past and everything. Yeah, all those artifacts. Just, I guess the, yeah. So yeah. like there's, the tradition is, is similar. It's, I think the, the main thing is the, the whole uh, difference of like, this is, this is life or death. This is, you know, kill or be killed. This is, you know, a much, much more serious, much more like, you know, getting your heart rate up. Yeah, no, without a doubt. When I, I did some coaching work with an arena team, you know, while I was, uh, while I was over at RSTB for a little bit, I was cert cadre. So I had a little bit of time to go do some coaching work. And I tried to explain that to the guys like, I was like, yeah, you know, Ranger Regiment is, there are similarities to a football team. There's positions, there's a depth chart, uh, a train up, 
there's a season, if you will, the season could be at any given moment, but you know, it's, there's, there's training goals to meet, there's game plans to execute, you know, all these things like that. But I told him the same thing was basically, Hey, look, but the difference is, is if you guys have a bad night and you don't communicate and you don't work cohesively, it's a loss. I was like, when we take a loss, people die. You know, it's like, that's, that's the difference. Instilling that sort of that team culture and that, and that identity and everything else in a way kind of just came to realize that they were never going to fully understand that the way I understood that. You know, when you come out of a place like the military and you get back involved with sports or like in your case, you come out and you play again, stuff like that. I think you bring that with you because you're like, no, I really understand what brotherhood and teamwork is. I really understand that. I need to really bring my maximum effort and attention to detail and being a perfectionist in in the craft that that you you're, you're asking me to do here. Make it apparent that you're the best wherever it is you're going. You know that's what we're supposed to do, right? And so uh, I think that's the biggest distinct difference. You know, for all the similarities, the biggest distinct difference is that it's, it's it was a very hard to transfer that to that attitude because uh, in many ways it did not help me going from that to. Uh, you know, getting out and then going to football again, going football, military football, you know, that urgency, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that once we kind of get, you know, to the transition point, but it was just kind of, it was almost too much to where it's like, kind of just makes people uncomfortable. And then I'm getting like anxiety through the roof when everybody else just doesn't even care about what's happening, you know, things like that. Where I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's like, we're going to die if we don't do this. It's like, you know, people are just like, calm down. I just feel like I made people uncomfortable with that urgency. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's just something that is instilled in you from day one. You show up, you get to your company, you get back in the zoo. They need to know that in a very short amount of time that they can trust you with their life. That's uh, That's something that you can't get in very many places. You deployed. You deployed four times with... Uh, with 275 yeah 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 it was uh two times and then then ranger school and then uh then two more times with a tab gotcha did uh when so when did you go through ranger school uh ranger school uh right after so 2020 the world was supposed to, or 2012 the world was supposed to end yeah <laughs> did not so then i started cert uh right after right after new year's ranger school now that was a journey so it's you know it's 60 days 61 days whatever it is i was there for 270 something oh my god uh, man yeah so i'm i was i was hard ranger not smart ranger and uh and really you know i i started out with a messed up mindset because on that second deployment kind of basically the worst possible thing that could have happened in you know in the military happened you know it was uh october october 22nd uh, 2011, and we were in uh, Kandahar province, and we took a Moscow. That's when we lost uh, Sergeant First Class Domey and, uh, you know, Horns and uh, Lieutenant Ashley White. Three days later, I was on a plane headed back to the United States to go to Ranger School, and, you know, immediately just, you know, got a, got a bottle, and I was in my barracks room with the lights off just drinking, and, like, I kind of, like, I had like a panic attack, but it was like, it just wouldn't go away. It was like, my heart was like constantly just like out of control. I was like sweating all the time. I couldn't sleep. And, you know, I get home and it's like, all right, finally I can drink. And, you know, as soon as I did, it just kind of like relaxed me and I was good. And I did that for, you know, a couple of weeks and then, you know, went to ranger school and I was just kind of in that, in that messed up mindset where I couldn't focus. And I was just, I was just off. I was in a bad place. And, you know, not that it was an excuse, but it was just like, man, I should have dealt with that 
in some way, but I had no idea. I was, you know, I just turned like 20. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew the liquor made me feel better. So, you know, I did that. And then I went to cert and there's no more liquor. You know, I, I recycled land nav. Like I just wasn't paying attention. I wasn't, I wasn't focusing. I like plotted my points wrong. It's if you, you fail land nav and, and cert, it's like not many people are doing that, <laughs> making that mistake. So, but I did. And then, you know, there's a couple of weeks until the next class went through. So I got to do more land nav. I got really good at land nav. And then it was kind of a blessing in Darby because when I did get my go, it was because I did really good at land nav. So it helped. But, you know, Darby, I also recycled patrols because I wasn't really working well with the, all the officers that are in there. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention. I was just kind of like, I wasn't working with them. I was kind of closed off. You know, I recycled and then I, I kind of changed that to where I was, you know, being more helpful and trying to be more involved, even though I didn't know, you know, what was up with these op orders and all this stuff. Uh, so then, you know, I got, I got through Florida, got my tab and then, you know, it, it was literally two more weeks and I had to deploy. So I was like depleted. I went, I went from 220, like rocked up. And then I came out, I was 171 and kind of fat. <laughs> You know what I mean? Skinny I, face, skinny neck, fat stomach. Yeah, I I went in at two forty and came out at one seventy nine. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the pain. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you know, Ranger School is it's a journey, and it sounds like your journey was a little longer than most. But again, you know, yeah. you're not a quitter, so you know, congratulations on that, man. Because I would have broke a lot of people. So you're dealing dealing with a lot obviously. And I think one of the things that people don't realize, especially when you're talking about in terms of special operations, Ranger Regiment, is there's no real decompression time from something that you're doing overseas to now you're in the mall back in the United States a few days later, and you're supposed to be, you know, whatever, you know, like with your family or coming home to your, to your wife, girlfriend, your kids, whatever it is. And, and who knows what it is that this person was just doing, not even a couple of days ago, you know? And so uh, I think that again, what you're talking about, what you went through that resonates with me. I think it resonates with a lot of people. Uh, and I'm glad that we're having this conversation about that. You get out of ranger school and you do two more rotations with 275 and um, you start going back on your journey to, to play college football. And so that takes you to uh, DuPage Community College. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, right. I wasn't like right away. I was like, all right, you know, I got this junior college in mind. I really had no idea how I was going to do it. <clears throat> I got home and I called my high, my high school football coach and, uh, you know, I was just kind of asking if he would uh, put a good word in for me. And I, I didn't know, cause like I told you, I graduated high school with a 1.2 GPA and I didn't know if I could pass a college class, you know what I mean? And even if I can't pass a college class, can I still play football after all of the like just beat down that my body and my joints and my brain had gotten over the years? I'm like, I honestly have no idea. Like it would be really embarrassing as an army ranger to go to NIU and then just suck. So I was like, I don't want that. I want to, I want to check this out, kind of feel it out. So I asked him to put a good word in for me at this junior college. And he introduced me to coach Foster who ended up being like a second father to me, really. Like he's a, he's the type of coach that's not worried about advancing himself. He's in that position to help the kids. And it's like, he really genuinely cares about these people. And, you know, I got that from him right off the bat. We bonded, he's super pro-military. And I even got lucky too, that uh, there was a Marine, uh, my boy, Evan, he, he got out at the same time. And we go into our first team meeting and we both got Mohawks. 
and we sat next to each other just on accident and then we kind of struck up a conversation and we're both combat veterans just got out so it was like right away it's like boom i got a coach that supports me i got a i got you know a fellow veteran and then you know the rest of the team really easy to get along with a lot of guys that were in a similar situation where you experience you know adversity at a young age you you kind of put all your chips in the middle and then it didn't work out and then in juco it was a good opportunity to meet other guys like that and it's like oh man like we know the stakes here like we know what it's like to fail so it's like you it's easy to bond with people who have a similar experience like your buddy evan who was also a combat veteran so it's like you guys sat next to each other and it's like did we just become best friends yep so you you yeah. <laughs> you're still close with them to this day yeah yeah definitely very cool. Uh, we, we, we just talked uh, the day before yesterday. Very cool. So um, you end up, you're there for two years. Yeah. So you, you, you saw some playing time your second year or, or what, what was that like? Yeah. So the, the first, uh, the first year before the season we did, you know, we were testing and doing forties and like, really, I didn't even have to do it. We were doing it inside on a, like on in, in the gym, you know what I mean? On a hard, on a hard, uh, hard floor, you know, you're not wearing cleats or any of that good stuff. And we had just like done heavy, like front squats the day before. And like, I was real tight in my groin and like, just being who I was all stubborn. I wanted to do it anyway, even though I was, even though I wasn't feeling great. I'm like, Oh no, I like, I've done way worse than this. I can run 140 yard dash horrible idea. I made it like 30 meters. And then, uh, it was like, somebody just sniped me in my groin just like blew up. Oh. I had like a double sports hernia oh, and it never really got better. You know, uh, that, uh, I, I did yoga throughout the season. And then it was like later that season, uh, it didn't go well. We were like five and four. And then a couple players got kicked off. A couple people got injured. And then it was like, boom, I got a chance to grab a starting spot for like the last three games of the year. And it went really well. And then I was able to keep that momentum into the next season and I kept my mic spot, you know, and had a had a way more involved role. And that sophomore year was honestly the best season of football that I had ever experienced in my entire life. It was it was the most fun. It was the most like, uh, you know, just kind of like making strong uh, ties with my teammates. We were very tight knit. Uh, we ended up being the number two team in the nation with a top defense and had some success. We went to a bowl game. We lost the bowl game, but it was, and we lost, uh, we lost two games that year, the bowl game and a, a really important game versus Iowa Western, but it was, they were both so close. It was just, it was like, uh, that season was just so vivid and it just felt so good to be so supported and close to everybody else. And, you know, it was really great. And then obviously I got an opportunity to go play at the next level, which, you know, that was the whole goal of JUCO. Yeah, absolutely. When you were at DePage that second year and you got that more involved role and you stepped on the field and you were playing, did you feel like you were playing, needing to sort of carry yourself in a way and, and carry them with you sort of vicariously? Like, Hey, this is, you know, this, I'm, I'm out of, I'm out of two seven five. This is where I come from, man. And like, I'm going to bring it every day, you know, with that same kind of mentality that I had there, you know, playing it at the college level. Well, yeah. Yeah. I carry that with me. Cause it's like, you know, even, even to this day, I might be the only ranger that, you know, whoever I am meeting or whoever's watching me or whoever I'm working with, it's like, I might be the only ranger that they ever meet. And like, how do I want to represent an organization to which I hold so dear to my heart? You know what I mean? It's like, I don't want these guys to be like, Oh, this guy's like, you know, a pushover or like, Oh, you know, rangers must, must just not be shit. It's like, no, I'm coming with intensity. Like, I really care about this. And I really want to make this happen. You know what I mean? And it, when I don't live up to that, 
it hurts more. You know what I mean? So like there might be some minor little failure or like, you know, I, I don't feel too good today. And it's like, I'll really beat myself up over it when it's like something like, you know, I'm really tired. Maybe you need to stretch. Maybe you need an ice bath. Maybe you need to take care of yourself. But it's like, I would feel like such crippling guilt that I would have to like go grab a bottle and then make myself feel better instead of actually making things better. It was like, I was beating myself down because it's like, how am I not upholding this standard? Going back to the introduction, that creed follows you, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a glorious burden. You know, it's, it's not, it's once you live the life you have committed yourself, or at least you should commit yourself to whatever it is that you do from there on out. When you touch it, it's, it's supposed to be correct. It's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be better than, you know, what other people are bringing to the table, especially civilian counterparts and everything else, you know, that's just, that's how it is. And so I know that you carried that with you and it, and it paid off at that junior college level because you start talking with coastal Carolina in uh, Conway, South Carolina, there in Myrtle Beach. Um, can you talk about that process a little bit and, and how you ended up landing down there with the Chanticleers? Yeah, actually the process of like how I came to, you know, go to coastal is it's not super inspiring. It's actually kind of funny because like just where my head was was so silly it's like okay I was looking for like a beach you know uh, and it's funny that you said Florida International because uh my uh my brother's D-line coach when he was in college he went there his name was Coach Rock uh, he was like the assistant he was like the assistant coach at the time and you know I was hoping that my brother would like hook me up and I'd get like an in and go there but my brother's super competitive and it was like he wasn't really trying to do that so I'm like you know looking for a beach Myrtle Beach is really cool at the time I was like watching like Eastbound and Down and Kenny Powers was <laughs> great was, show was, was, was hanging out up there I was like yeah Myrtle Beach looks cool and uh then you know their uniforms are real nice like Teal's cool and uh yeah my you coach wanted, knew a coach there you wanted to go you know, go so, down to Shabooms <laughs> yeah <laughs> go to Shabooms <laughs> it was just kind of just some some uh kind of shallow reasons you know what I mean and it just so happened that, you know, my coach had a connection there and uh, there was other places that I was thinking about going like Washington. So I could go be cl close to my guys at second bat uh, NIU, because that's where we played our high school games on NIU's field. Cause we didn't have a field. So it would have been such a great story to go back to NIU play on the same field that I played in high school and could have kind of, you know, made like amends or redemption or whatever you want to say, like in that spot, it would have been a really good story, but I was kind of more, attracted to the idea that I could go and get playing time because my coach said that their coach said they needed a linebacker. So I'm like thinking like, Oh, well I can go out here. I'm going to play really cool uniforms, really cool place. Like, you know, what could possibly go wrong? You know what I mean? And, you know, looking back, like there's obviously something I would tell, you know, other Juco players that are looking for a place, I would say go somewhere that you feel that you almost don't even deserve to be that you respect it so much that like, you know, maybe I'm not good enough to play at the university of Washington, but I don't care. I'm going to go there anyway. Like, I think that would be the kind of correct way to go about it. But instead of like, Oh, you know, maybe it'll be easier. I can just get put right into a spot. I think that's a lesson that I learned. I, I understand that. I, I went to FIU because I flipped a coin. I flipped a coin. Between, oh, nice. <laughs> I flipped a coin between FIU and FAU and neither one of those schools would have, was really where I wanted to be. I, you know, I wanted to 
I wanted to go to the University of Georgia. Um, but, you know, again, I didn't take care of things in the classroom and it would have cost an ass load of money and yada, yada and everything else. And, you know, I wish that I had taken a route like going to junior college or going to a smaller school and then transferring later. I was ignorant to the process because I was the first one in my family to really do it. And so I would say the same thing to guys, young aspiring dudes out there that maybe you're not ready just right now to go to that big school of your dreams, but there are different routes to get there and uh, take things with a grain of salt, maybe go to a smaller place. And if you're good enough, it'll translate. You'll go, if you can play, you can play, you know? And, uh, right. and so, yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. But so you end up going down there to, to coastal on the, uh, on the teal turf uh, at Brooks stadium. And uh, what, what was it like when you first got down there? Um, you know, how did you, assimilate with the team well it, it started out like right off the bat adversity like before before i came out there a couple months before i got engaged and just you know i'm like planning like a wedding so i had these huge victories you know i got first of all i graduated with a 3.5 and good for you, you know, these are college good classes and like boom i'm like maybe i can really do this you know what i mean like maybe i can actually get a bachelor's degree like this isn't all it is is just you do exactly what they ask of you and you get a B at least. If you do all the directions exactly how yep. they say, you'll get a B. Yep. You know, and if you do it really well, you'll get an A. It's like, oh, wow. So that's what school has been this whole time. Mm -hmm. Just couldn't follow directions, <laughs> I guess. The military fixed that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was two, it was big victories. You know, I got, you know, good grades. I got the associate's degree. I got a chance to go play at a D1 school. I got engaged to be married. It was like victory, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, at the time I was like uh, coming out of a, kind of a little battle with, you know, my first like kind of encounter with like TBI and PTSD. And that was when I, I went to, it was in between my, my freshman and sophomore years when I started going to the VA to get help. And, you know, they uh, ended up getting me through like the disability hearings and stuff and like that's why I got diagnosed with, uh, you know, brain injury and uh, PTSD. And I started kind of trying to manage it, you know, and I really what helped me the most was I joined a church and, you know, near my JUCO. And I was going for like morning prayer, like five days a week, you know, to go just take communion and just pray early in the morning, like 6am. And then, you know, I was going to a men's group on like Saturday when I could. And then like Sunday, I would stay late and go to like a class and like I was really involved and that helped me that helped set me up mentally for having a really good year my second year and I had those big wins and then I moved to coastal and it was like uh I started taking a couple of little L's like my relationship started going really bad and like the engagement fell through uh I couldn't I couldn't seem to secure housing which is really easy now but it was kind of something that like the JUCO coaches helped me with you know, and then like my parents helped me with it also. And it was like, I didn't really know what I was doing. It was just kind of like got happened for me. And then I went to this other school and like, no, there was nowhere for me to live. And I just thought that I would have a place, but it was like, you have to work it out on your own. And I understand that now, but at the time I just, I didn't get it. And so I ended up getting a motel room at this cracked out motel in Conway, you know, like inland and horrible environment i started i started drinking right off the bat and then i'm in summer camp and you know my body's getting beat down i thought i would have a chance to play i was last on the depth chart i was like eighth you know what i mean and it kind of hit me like right off the bat it's like oh my god like 
So I'm like losing the person that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I'm uh, living in this horrible environment. I'm like, you know, I'm really sore, beat down, but I'm not getting any, I'm not making any progress. I'm just kind of like, I'm at the bottom. Like, why am I even here? You know what I mean? But, you know, I didn't let it show. I just went and I did it. But inside, I'm like, what, what just happened? Like everything just flipped. And that's when I started drinking again. Like I didn't drink at all my like sophomore season. And then now I started drinking again. And then I get, uh, I started getting benzos prescribed from the team doctor. And then I was getting antidepressants and antipsychotics um, prescribed from the VA. And that all with alcohol was like, put me in a really bad headspace. but I'm holding it together. You know what I mean? And then I'm knocking my classes out as well as I can. And then, you know, I'm getting like all these ticky tacky injuries. I'm not really taking care of myself, but I get through the season and it was like a positive season. It was an awesome experience. You know what I mean? But I didn't get any playing time. I didn't get a chance to get on the field. And it was kind of like, uh, you could go two ways here. Like you could just kind of like, uh, you know, keep enduring it and then things are going to get better or like you just need to get out of here. And I just, I chose the, I'm going to stay and we're going to see this thing through, you know, instead of like, just kind of get out or transfer to a different school or go back home and try to fix my relationship. Or I just chose, I was going to stick it out and things got, you know, better. And then uh, the off season went really well. I got like, I put on a bunch of muscle. I was feeling super great, you know, about it uh the next season we're going into the season i thought you know i would at least get into some like you know special teams or something but then i'm like doing squats one day at uh like 450 pounds on my back and i go into the hole and i just start coming out and it was like boom that same growing injury that i had it just kind of boom double hernia again and that just like kind of took the wind out of me because i'm like no I'm, i'm injured real bad i'm like trying to play through it and I feel like I'm a 27 year old beat up like practice dummy. You know what I mean? And kind of the the mental aspect of it, like I'm like struggling with the medications that I was taking and trying to balance all that with school and then like drinking way too much. And it was very hard to uh, be a productive football player under those circumstances. And the biggest thing was, you know, my mental the mental things that I should have taken care of before I even got out of the army. I should have had a, a handle on it, but it was like some, it was things I was ignoring, but you can only ignore them so long. And then once the competition, you know, is raised, you're not going to be able to stick out anymore because like you can't be half drunk at a division one football practice in the morning because you know what I mean? I yes. can't sleep. And yes, that's the only I, way you can sleep. Yes. I, 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 know, I, I know what you're saying. That's a, that's a very physically exhaustive and intensive environment to be in when you're not at a hundred percent, you know? And, um, did you ever get the feeling like, um, maybe you're a man of faith, you know, over this discussion. So am I, uh, did you ever get the feeling that maybe God was just trying to tell you something like when I try to explain to people sometimes, and especially people that don't, they're not really, uh, religious or they don't prescribe to faith very much. I say, Hey, you know, for me, what really clicked for me was God exists in the plans that don't go my way, you know, because in those moments, it seems like more often than not, almost every time that I have something planned for myself, 
and I have this idea of how things are going to go, they don't end up going that way a lot of times. And the, the, the path gets diverted. And for whatever reason, I can't understand why. I, can't, I don't know why. Why did this happen? This is terrible. This is the worst thing. What, what, what possibly good could come of this? What good can come of this? And then you sit back for a day or two and you realize, well, because this happened to me, actually, it really worked out for that person who really needed it. And this other person ended up benefiting too, who's like on their last leg and, oh, that happened because of that. Or, oh man, I dodged that bullet. There's no way I could have seen that coming. Holy crap. That was a blessing in disguise. You know, what kind of, you, you know, you're down right now. You're in the, you're in the pits right now, as far as what you're ta- you know, talking to me about, about your experience. What, what happened to kind of either flip that and bring you out of it? Or what was the lesson that you kind of learned from that on the back end and, and what was the win that came out of it? Well, uh, I kind of ended up in a similar situation that I was in when I was 18, almost a decade later, you know, so I got to a point where I was the, the blend of medication injury, you know, constantly getting concussions, even at Juco all through it, I was, I was getting them, but it was like, I'm not getting treatment for, it. I don't care. I just want to play. You know what I mean? And it got to a point my senior year where I'm, <clears throat> I'm in class and I'm like drooling on myself and like, uh, like lisping, like, um, I can't talk right. And I would get like lost on my way to school. I would just forget like where I'm at and like how to get anywhere. And I would have to like call one of my friends or a coach, you know, and be like, you know, I need help. And it got to a point where it was like, I just, I can't, I can't do this. It was, it was around, it was late in the season. There was no way I was going to get on the field. I'm like, well, I have one more year of eligibility because I haven't got in. So I got a redshirt year so I can play one more year. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to D3 school and, you know, back home near where my JUCO was. So I transferred to this other school and I was there for like two weeks. I kept drinking. I kept having the same issues and it got way worse. I started hanging out with some of the people I hung out with, you know, from way before. And it was like the drinking and then add in hard drugs. And I got to a point where it was like, uh, I was in the basement of uh, this, uh, I believe it was a Mexican restaurant. I was in the basement and like I had been drinking and doing drugs for three days straight without any food, water or sleep. And I remember uh, like looking down at, looking down at my feet, I'm putting my boots on and I'm just like thinking of like an old homeless man like staring at me with like like no emotion and I'm like that's gonna be me and so I put my boots on I I, it was like a blizzard and I started walking across DeKalb all the way back to my parents house and on the way there I called uh Beth Carter who is uh Chris Carter he was kind of like my little brother in the army he came in about a year after me so he's like a deployment behind so it was kind of like I was senior private. And then when he was senior private, I was a corporal. And then when he was a corporal, I was a sergeant. So he was kind of like a little brother. He committed suicide after his last deployment. And uh, that was in 2015. And so I, I became really close with his parents. And uh, so as I was like kind of shuffling across my town, getting snowed on, I just told her, I was like, I need help. Like, and I knew she would know what to do. She was a colonel in the medical corps. Or this, like, yeah, she's a surgeon in the army 
for a very long time. And then she got out, she's a doctor and she became very involved in like these veteran organizations and suicide prevention. And I'm like, I'm like literally killing myself. It's kind of like, you know, there's people commit suicide, but then people also just kind of kill themselves over long periods of time. And, you know, it's a drawn out, you know, painful thing for everybody involved. And I didn't want that. My, in my heart, I didn't want that. So I reached out and uh, she kind of got the, the VA in Chicago kind of ready for me. So my dad took me to, well, actually I called my dad when I got there and uh, he said he was gonna come pick me up and take me. But before that, I, I all the liquor that was in the house, I killed all of it, drank all of it. <laughs> and then, then I got in the car, he took me and they uh, like met me with like a wheelchair at the entrance and then they wheeled me into the ER and kind of doing tests and all this and that. And then I get rushed into like the ICU and uh, it turns out I had a kidney failing and I was in the ICU for 10 days, but I was also detoxing because, you know, for the couple of years, it was like the constant alcohol and benzos and all the extra medicine that I was taking on top of each other. I was kind of coming off of that while I was in there having those issues and um, it was, it was horrible that experience. Like I was like sweating, shaking, like getting tremors, like I'm freezing cold, but I'm like hot, you know, uh, having like flashbacks and, and whatnot. And even, uh, one night I started having it really bad and it was like uh, all these nurses, I just remember all the nurses in the room and it was like, they're having like a full court press and, uh, ended up hitting me with a needle and knocking me out. And I woke up, uh, uh, freaking handcuffed to the bed. And it was just kind of like every, all that emotion kind of all like from all those years kind of hit me. And it's like, this is what I didn't want to happen when I was 18. Like, and when I had that like kind of epiphany that like, we're going to go to the army and we're going to make this right. Well, it, it, I ended up in the same spot that I thought I might've been in. And it's just like, I felt it, but like times 10 this time, you know, but after that, you know, I'm like, I need to get the problem solved at the, at the core. It's not just like alcohol is not the problem. Like drugs aren't the problem. The problem is I need to just be okay in my body, where I'm at, who I am. And so in order to do that, well, I wanted to go to this PTSD TBI program, but to do that, you have to go to rehab. So I went to a 21 day rehab program right there in Chicago. And, you know, I, I got a chance. I, I met a lot of dudes like Vietnam veterans. I was by far the youngest one there. And I met a lot of these older guys and got to talk to them and, you know, hear their stories. And, you know, it put me on a better track. Then I went to that other program um, in, in uh, it was Fort Thomas, Kentucky. And so I was there for like, I believe it was 16 weeks. So I spent several months in the VA uh, hospital kind of system. And, uh, you know, they, it helped, but really the main thing was uh, it gave me space which is really what I needed. And I, I needed to, I'm doing, I'm doing something good, you know, after all these failures just hit me. Now I'm, I'm trying, people know that I'm trying and I get some space and it would kind of gave me a chance to kind of sort things out, but it didn't, it didn't get me hundred percent to where I needed to be, you know? And then I got out and I still thought, I, I still thought I had that year, you know, I could play one more season. And uh, my Juco coach uh, connected me with somebody at Arizona state so I'm like, just go big or go home, you know, let's go, let's go try. And 
Uh, the way that I understood it was, you know, they would try to get me that eligibility. And if they couldn't, then I would get a spot intern coaching. And I'm like, you know, that's something I can, I can deal with. And then I get there and it both turned out it's not going to work at all. So I kind of moved across the country and got into a year lease. And like, I was just kind of there, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, this is happening again. And uh, it got kind of dark again for a couple of weeks. But then uh, one of my buddies that I went through RASP with, and he was at uh, second bat with me the whole time. Actually, I went through basic, airborne, RASP, everything with him. He uh, had a job doing wildland firefighting and he, uh, he put me onto that. And uh, the engine captain that I got paired with was a Marine veteran. And it's like a great environment to go in. And I went there and like, you know, I, I did end up struggling, but it gave me, it, it took me away from football for a second. And so I didn't feel so like, like a fail, like as much as like a failure because of what happened. It was like, okay, now I'm kind of adding to my own character you know, so it helped in that way, but it's, it's been a, it's, it hasn't been like one of those, like, you know, you have a quick trends, like a, a quick, uh, kind of, you just turn things all the way around and everything gets great. It's like, I turn it around, boom, I get slapped with, uh, you know, some adversity and then kind of have to re kind of regather myself and then come back. The experiences that you've gone through in your life and everything that you shared with me right now or shared with us, as you'd say, all the listeners right now, this is why for real, this is the real reason why we do this podcast. It, college football is great, right? That's, that's, that's wonderful. It's a great sport. I love it. It's meant so much to me and a lot of other people, but this is really about, this is really about the stories of, of, of y'all, of the guests in your life and the common theme here with you is, you know, something that I can really admire and aspire to with you is I I've dealt with a lot of adversity in my life too, but it sounds like you've taken some fucking bombs, man. And you're, you're still standing, you know, and there's so many of us. And when I say us, I mean, in the veteran community that can't seem to find a way out. And unfortunately, you know, 22 a day or more end up in that, in that place where they, they choose the permanent solution to those temporary problems. And I think mm -hmm. what everybody needs to remember is there are seasons in your life where you're going to hit those, those downs, but those are temporary. And if you, you stay there as long as you choose you can choose that next right move, that next step. It's not going to be easy. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. And I think that's what people need to, they needed to hear a story like this, you know, and I think it's great that you are on the other side of all that. And, you know, in a way by, by trying to get back to, you know, that, that common thread of, of playing ball, eventually in a really weird around way, it led you to what it is you're doing now, right? With the, with the firefighting and everything else. Uh, Cause if you had not made that move across the country <laughs> to, to Arizona, that plug-in wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. Right. And so um, I think it's, that's, that's, uh, it's an, this has been an incredibly inspiring story, man. And I, I really appreciate you sharing it with us. Oh yeah. I appreciate you having me too. Cause I mean, this is the first time that I've actually talked about, you know, these things, you know, in a, in a way that, you know, people can actually see it. I mean, I've definitely, I've talked about it to people, but like, I've never really put myself out there, 
you know, because it is kind of embarrassing and I feel like I'm not 100% past it yet. You know what I mean? Like uh, with firefighting, it's it, it's cool, but it's it's a seasonal position and I'm really just doing it to get ahead financially going into hopefully I get accepted at Colorado State to do grad school to keep kind of with the history thing. Uh, so I'd be starting, you know, in the fall. So I'd just do this half season and that'll put me ahead financially for the rest of the year, you know, so like it's going to be something good. And also I'm going to be on the same engine with my Ranger buddy and uh, my boss is a Marine veteran, you know, and like, it's going to be a great environment and I'll be able to give back, you know, which feels really good to me to be useful to my country that I can, you know, kind of just kind of give myself, put myself in not necessarily harm's way like Afghanistan, but I mean, it's not, it's not a picnic out there, you know, with trees falling all over the place and, you know, go running through these wildfires, you know, a lot of serious things can happen and have happened. So, I mean, it, it makes me feel good to kind of be in that environment where it's like, you know, the first stanza of Ranger Creed, it's like, well, I acknowledge, I'm going to, well, I'm going to recognize that this is some serious shit that I'm about to do. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge that I'm, I'm set apart, you know, I'm, I'm not going to fail my people on my left and my right. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to kind of set the standard. You know what I mean? It, it feels good. And it's not necessarily something that I want to do forever, but it is an option, but you know, it is what it is. And I, I, I see exactly what you're saying on how like, you know, things can go bad, but it puts you on the right track. And that's one thing I wish that I could tell my younger self, if I could, it's like what you're feeling right now is okay. That was one thing I could never, I could never, like, I, I've never just felt okay being able to just kind of sit in the moment. It's always like, I need to be, I need to be doing something. Or if I feel bad, I, I, I need to do something about this right now. So like grab a bottle and it, it works instantly, you know, things like that. It's like, no, you, if you feel this way, it's good. It's going to lead you to where you need to be. Don't try to avoid it. You know, don't hide from it. As far as like kind of the mental health issues that uh, the veteran community faces, I never really knew where to start. I'm like, I need help. It's good to reach out to do this and that. But the number one thing I believe that you could do right off the bat is eliminate all the things that you're doing that are making things worse. You know what I mean? All like whatever you're doing that's damaging yourself or the people around you, if you stop doing that right now, it's going to put you in a way better spot. If you even do that. You need to stop doing damage. Stop drinking. If the medicine's messing you up, have that conversation with the doctor of what you need to do with that. I'm not, for me, I didn't need antidepressants. I didn't need antipsychotics. I needed to stop drinking. I needed to stop uh, feeding all those negative thoughts of like uh, how Horns and Dome were like, Ashley, how they were like model soldiers, citizens, sons, daughters, perfect. You know what I mean? In my eyes, people I looked up to, gods amongst men and they die. But then here I am being a scumbag, alcoholic, and I'm sitting around here living and all that's doing is just making me feel worse about myself. And then the person that I am when I go to school or the person I am when I go out in public is way worse than the person I would have been if I would have been, you know, thinking about it correctly. Like, you know, it's horrible what happened, but it's war. First stands of the Ranger Creed, they knew what they signed up for. They knew what they got themselves into and they were willing to do it. And I would have been willing to do it too, but it didn't happen to me. So now let's live our lives and represent them the way that we should. Yeah, I think that the best way that we can honor our fallen is to continue to continue to live and continue to live in a way that is significant and it's impactful. And that's why I do this to try to bring these kinds of stories to light. And I think at the end of the day, more often than not, 
where guys like us go off the rails, you know, where veterans lose their way is when they don't feel like they're making an impact anymore. It's not necessarily, I'm not getting in gunfights anymore. It's not necessarily, I'm not bringing the fight to the enemy anymore. It's not necessarily, hey, I'm not in this platoon anymore. It's how do we make an impact now? How do we bring some positivity and some good to some things, serve our country, serve our community, serve our families, and be impactful and significant people? And I wanna let you know that you have done that here tonight. And I really appreciate you just the, the truth that you have brought to the table here, uncensored, raw. I really appreciate it, man. Um, you're very much an inspiration in ways that I don't think you really understand right now, but you will. And hats off to you, brother. I, I thank you. Thank you, man. The, the best is yet to come for sure. You know, we're just, I'm just kind of turning the corner, honestly, like I just turned 30. <laughs> Congratulations. Like Welcome to the club. <laughs> thank you man definitely stay in touch with you and i, I want to know how that how that goes for you too hey brother uh thank you so much for coming on the show tonight man and just one last thing how do people get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about hey man i, I really enjoyed your story hey i'm dealing with some stuff too uh you know whatever it is i want to reach out to you i want to you know congratulate you or pick your brain or anything like that how do, how do people get how would you like people to get in touch with you if they have questions about the show uh, definitely instagram's uh the best the best way to kind of contact me i'm i'm not on there all the time but you know i, ch I check it way more often than i do like you know any other uh, kind of avenue okay and that's what that Matt, matthew fletcher 75 yeah that's me Okay. Hey, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and give us that oh-so-important review. Or at least tell a few friends about the podcast. They can catch us on Apple Pods, Spotify, Google Pods, Breaker, Anchor, Overcast, Pocket Cast, all the casts, any cast. If you have comments, suggestions, gripes, complaints, or otherwise, please shoot us an email at anygivenyou at gmail.com. That's anygivenyou, all one word, at gmail.com. We would love to get some fan-based material to discuss on future shows. Also, if you would like to score some Any Given You swag, get over to squadlocker.com and search the Any Given You store. We have a great selection of affordable apparel for dudes, chicks, kids, and everyone. The best part is 10% of every purchase will be donated to charitable causes. I do not take one cent for myself. Again, that is squadlogger.com. Search the Any Given You store. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given topic, get it at Any Given You.